Welcome to the Care Exchange, the Skills for Care podcast for managers and social care. I'm Pierre F. Day Burton. And I'm Wendy Adams. So today we're talking to Ben Miller. Ben Miller is the registered manager of the outstanding rated multi-award winning nursing home called Castleford House in Gloucestershire. Ben started his career in care, working in the nursing home as a care assistant. He later trained as a mental health nurse, returning to Castleford House and becoming the registered manager in 2016. Ben himself is also award-winning, receiving the Best for Recruitment and Retention Award at the Care Home Awards in 2022 and the Care and Support West Care Home Manager of the Year. So I've been following Ben on LinkedIn for quite a while and always really interested in seeing his post and follow his journey into improving his service. Um, so when the locality manager in Ben's local area suggested to have him on the podcast, we just thought it was a really, really good idea. Um, and just as a coincidence, Ben and I met at a conference a few weeks ago before recording this and haven't heard him at the conference, but uh, I just thought this is going to be great. So I'm really, really looking forward to chatting in some more. So, on with the show. So, welcome, Ben, to the Care Exchange. Uh, thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Um, how are you today? Yeah, I'm really well, thanks. Looking forward to this. I've, I've, I've been a long-time listener, so this is um, almost like a dream come true. Oh, <laughs> that's lovely. <laughs> I'm not sure we've had anybody say that before. That's really nice. That's made my day. Um, so we heard introduction there, lots about Cosford House, uh, your journey, how you kind of, uh, you know, went away or started there, then went away to do, do your nurse training and then you can't come back. And then obviously, um, or not obviously, but then having that, then you achieve that outstanding rating by CQC. Um what were sort of kind of the key things that you did in preparing for that CQC inspection? Because you had a couple of years between your good good inspection and then getting the next, having the next one. Yeah. So the story in short was I was given the manager's job at Castleford House in April, but I wasn't uh, 2016, but wasn't due to take over until June 2016. And in the May, one of the other homes in the company was rated overall outstanding by CQC. Um, I took over as manager. We were inspected in September 2016, got five goods, but I didn't think that inspection report reflected me as a manager because I'd only just taken over. So I, I looked at the inspection report from the other care home and I just thought, this is, I want this. I want what they've got. I want that rating. Um, we've got an amazing team. The things we do were fantastic. And this is an opportunity to showcase that and get the team the recognition they deserve and prove that we're one of the best care homes in the country. So we had, after we had the inspection report come back, I had a, what can we do to be outstanding meeting with people, invited people in, didn't get as many people as, as I liked. And I spent the next three years or so trying to drill it into people. This is what is going to set us apart from everywhere else. And there was a lot of things we did. A lot of people, care home managers or care setting managers um, should be aware by now that a lot of it is not just enough to be outstanding. You've got to evidence it. 
So I spent a lot of time, every time I did something that I thought, that's amazing, that's outstanding, I screenshotted it, typed it up, uh, took photographs of it, put it in folders, I categorized the folders. And when we were actually inspected, she didn't actually look at any of the evidence that I provided. I tried. Uh, so every time, every time I was with her, I was kind of like with my folders, had them all laid out and printed for her. And it'd be like, oh, do you want to have a look at this now? And she'd be like, yeah, in a bit, I'm looking at something else. So it was a testament to the team that we had that we were able to get the rating. And it was very close because on the, the, at the end of the first day, we had a two-day inspection. At the end of the first day, she left and said, got something here but not sure what it is not sure if i can put it in writing but there's something special and on the second day i had i had residents i had team members relatives my operations director all in my office and i was kind of saying to them like guys give me something here to give to this inspector tell me what i can tell her that she can tell a panel that makes us outstanding and everything was there in terms of what what we do we had people from very failed placements who couldn't cope in other similar care settings, but come to us and, and settled. We had outstanding activities. We had just an amazing ethos. Uh, my recruitment and retention changes were starting to kick in. The team was improving significantly with every new recruit, but there wasn't a lot you could all, you, you could put in writing and in the end, when she left, we kind of went, that's probably good. I felt that I had enough in the well-led category myself to get us an outstanding in well-led. And luckily our activities pushed us over the edge in responsive into outstanding. But once we got the report, it was amazing. The response was fantastic. Teamwork, were overjoyed. Now, when I was a carer and a nurse, I didn't really know a lot about CQC. I didn't really get involved with it so much until I kind of stepped up to deputy manager and then especially a manager. So one of the things I tried to do was educate people um, because I didn't want an inspector coming in and people flunking, uh, you know, people being nervous, scared, saying the wrong thing. And so a lot of the induction process is just reassuring people if you get into, if you get inspected, if an inspector sits down with you and speaks, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Calm, cool. Tell the truth. If you don't know what they're asking you, it's fine. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shout at you for not knowing something. And and it paid off once we got the report. My aim was then, this is great. We've got an overall outstanding, but we haven't got five five outstandings. Mm -hmm. So now the aim is to go up and, and try and improve. And I'm quietly confident that if we were inspected now, you would see a, a much better team and home and quality of care. Just everything would be a lot better than that inspection in, in 20, 2019 it was. So it sounds like what you're talking about is about achieving outstanding is is almost like a cultural change. It's not just about um, the inspection itself. Yeah, I someone asked me this a few weeks ago when he said, are you ticking a box to achieve these outstandings? Are you doing things just for CQC's benefit? And I'll be honest, initially at the start, 2016 to 2017 probably, I'll be honest, a lot of it was what can we do to make CQC take notice of us? And that was hard because I was hyper vigilant of everything. I'd go home and go, we've done something. 
what can we do to make sure CQC take notice of this? And it was almost like a, a tick in a box. We were doing things meticulously. And I, I changed my, it just got boring and tedious. And, and in the end, I just did away with that. And just if something was there, great. But um, it, it was a lot of it, a lot of our inspection especially was was the team and what they did and how they were and how calm, cool, collected they were around the inspector and the evidence they were able to provide. And a lot of it was just basically if someone did something well, I'd say to them, if remember that, we get inspected, tell the inspector. And yeah, I said, my activities especially, I was very lucky. My activities were very on board with what I was trying to, what I wanted and why I wanted it. And if, if you read our report, the activities were, were glowing. Um, and then it gives me good evidence then to go back to my care team after this report and say to them, well, they got it. They, they were one of the main reasons we got outstanding. You guys are amazing. Now, when we get inspected next time, you guys, it's your turn to shine. It's your turn to provide all the evidence that, that you guys are outstanding and caring, for example, and maybe effective. So yeah, it, it is, it is very much a cultural thing. And that starts with our induction going all the way up to people who've been here for, for 20 years plus. And yeah, like I said, I'm very confident if, if you came in now and sat down with any one of my team, they would be able to identify what sets us apart from everywhere else, why we're outstanding, um, why we should be outstanding in other other domains as well as the two we've got the outstanding rating in. And it's fantastic to hear you talking so passionately about the evidencing, because I think that's one of the things that often registered managers struggle with, that they do lots of great work in their service and everybody's doing some some really great support for people. But the bit that they struggle with is about how to evidence that. And I think you've given some great examples. But one of the other things that you seem to be alluding to is the importance of of detail um, and actually looking at the small things. Is is that attention to detail important? It's really important. When we've been told as a care home since I've been there in 2006 that a lot of what we do is very subtle. And that started before I was was even there. It's built on, you know, we're a care home. So people don't need to be going out and doing extravagant things to prove that we're outstanding. A lot of it is, if, if you, I, sat, I sit back and look at what we've got now, we've got 38 residents. And when I did the math, like 20 of them have come from failed, from failed inverted commas placements where other settings, whether that's home care, whether that's uh, another care home or another setting hasn't been able to manage their needs appropriately. And they've had to come and live with us and we've been able to improve their quality of life in some way shape or form whether that's they were very distressed or agitated or aggressive or we've been able to reduce those behaviors whether that's they were just extremely bored or the quality of care wasn't as good and that sort of thing is it's hard to evidence because it's very deeply ingrained in what in what we do and how we manage these things almost natural. So it, it is hard to evidence that sort of thing. Um, however, when an inspector comes in, kind of going, well, look, here's, I don't know, Mr. Jones, just making a name up, Mr. Jones, he was at this care home and he was acting like this since he's been with us. We've done this and now he's like this. Yeah. I mean, I, I can reel off examples and I'm hopefully I'm willing to bet a lot of my, my team will as well raise the bar more than other care settings. And I suppose that team, I thought it was really interesting you're saying about that 
that people, everybody, everybody in your care home understand what CQC is and understand what it is that they are doing that special and therefore understand how it, they have an equal responsibility mm. to to be part of that and if as CQC and be able to give examples that you're saying to them what you've done today is outstanding remember that and when your CQC comes um, yeah they, they need to be involved they need to be involved in it more than me because I'm when an inspector comes in I don't want to be hovering over them you know hovering over the inspector nervous and worried that someone's going to say or do something wrong and CQC aren't the enemy. I mean, I've heard some horror stories about some nightmare inspectors, but they they don't need to be treated like the enemy. And if they come in and you're defensive and oh, don't need to look at that and or whatever, they're going to get suspicious and that's going to set everyone on edge. It, you need to be calm. Everyone needs to be calm, chilled, relaxed, um, set the tone. Ideally, will want to speak to the inspector, and I'll say to them, you should want to speak to them because you should be able to tell them all the amazing things that you do. You know, it shouldn't be nerve wracking. It shouldn't be, you're not going to be interrogated. They're probably going to want to ask you how long you've been here for. Have you got any problems or concerns? Have you ever raised any problems or concerns? Do you know what safeguarding is? Do you know what the mental capacity act is? Um, And what makes this home so great? And if you can tell her or him the majority of those questions, that's it. There's no... There's no problems or issues. And I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky, I think. Oh, I've got a brilliant inspector. We're the only home, to my knowledge, that she's um, inspected that's been rated outstanding. She tells me that when I speak to her and when I see her. But uh, she's she's great. And I think a lot, but a lot of that is when she comes in, she's not being met with defensiveness and worry and anxiety. We try and make it as chilled as possible. I'll come home and have some alcohol afterwards just to just to uh, relax but generally yeah it, it, CQC inspection shouldn't be a, a time of worry and anxiety it should be something that should be celebrated here's someone coming to look at the amazing things that we're we're doing that, yeah. that's that's how I look at it yeah absolutely so just going back to uh, you talked a little bit about recruitment retention so I know that in sort of kind of 2017-18 you kind of realized you had an issue with recruitment retention and you sort of kind of needed to find a, a solution um and i'm really intrigued about what you did next because you didn't just kind of do more of the same what you're doing uh, you kind of went out and started to do research um and you're kind of looking lots of places what what was the things that you did with research or you know what was the things that you decided to do differently that other managers may not be thinking about doing in terms of of looking outwards yeah i need to stress research wasn't you know i didn't kind of go out and write thesis or uh, dissertation or anything like that i i just went out and we had a problem two problems or three problems actually the problem was recruitment retention and culture yeah and all of that was was interlinked so we, we were, I mean, what I was doing was a lot of what a lot of other places will relate to. I was taking on people who probably didn't deserve to be taken on because we were short staffed. I was fast tracking people through inductions, even though they weren't ready for it. I was um, giving, I was in, uh, encouraging people who weren't ready to induct people or mentor people to, to do just that. And then sat back and wondered why people weren't lasting. My good team were leaving. And we were short-staffed a lot of the time. And 
I, I went out there and it, it was pure luck, really. I started, I was on LinkedIn and by pure fluke, somebody mentioned a podcast called The Road to Outstanding. So I started, I, I hadn't listened to podcasts before. I wasn't much of a podcaster. I didn't really have much time for it, but I started listening to a couple of episodes and a couple of things, I can't remember what my first episode was, but a couple of things that were in there made a bit of sense. And one of them was about onboarding new staff. And I just, I started searching initially for things that could help me in social care. I was very disappointed at the time to find out that there wasn't a lot of social care podcasts or, or books or anything like that out there. So I just reached a bit further out and started finding other things that I could listen to and then read in my spare time that might help. And there's, there were so many things that over time I, I took on board and there were a few, there were a few podcasts, especially that really um, spoke to me um, in 2020. There was a podcast called the high performance podcast that changed, that got me through the pandemic and changed a lot of the way that I, um, that, that I think but I mean, I, I went on, I was on LinkedIn and Facebook on various registered managers groups and things looking for, um, looking for people who offer free advice. And there was people who was doing free webinars, for example, about how to market your, your team on social media on Facebook. And there, there was, yeah, it was, there was so much. It was, I was, I was this, I'd listened to um, Adam Grant, um, who's an American yeah. work psychologist. I think he is about how to about and listening to the examples he was given and I broke my problems down into two problems one was leadership and one was uh, marketing and advertising so then I started listening to marketing and advertising podcasts and webinars so that I could work out how best to advertise jobs to people um, and onboarding people and I did an ILM in advanced business management to see if what I was doing to want to say to well to improve my learning, but also to see if what I was doing could could work. And part of that qualification was to do a project, and I based my project on recruitment, retention, induction, and onboarding. And that started me down a very slippery slope of completely revamping everything we had about recruitment, retention, like literally everything, right from the way we market all the way up to the way we do supervisions on people who've been here for years, and it. Um, it's, it's evolving now. I'll still listen to it. I'll listen to a podcast or I'll read a book and uh, something, I'll, I'll be there making notes and I'll go, right, well, we do this for our induction. This person says they've done this. This has worked. So next time somebody starts, I'm going to try doing this and see if, see if that works. Yeah. And it's just a constantly evolving cycle. And I'm, I'm of the opinion now that if you just take recruitment and retention, social care and a lot of other sectors aren't in a recruitment crisis. We're in an education crisis. I'm saying this a lot because it's not that people can't recruit. It's they're not taught how to recruit. They're not trained how to grab the attention of these people who are out there now who um, who, who are looking for jobs because the, way, the demographics change so quickly. It's not just then enough to go on Indeed, let's say, and advertise a job. You've got to advertise in a very specific way yeah. that makes it... Um, that, that grabs people's attention and it's those little nuances that people aren't being shown how to how, what to do how to do it and I've, I've taken to my LinkedIn and I do I need to get better at it because I don't I keep forgetting 
but I do, uh, I do I put advice on my LinkedIn about uh, recently it's been about social media and how to how to do posts on social media previously to that I did some tips on recruitment and retention of, of, of people I did my top six tips um, so I'm, it's almost like I've taken I've taken all this advice and this learning from places and I'm trying to recycle it out to other people now to help them with with these problems because it, it, it kind of comes naturally to me now a lot of what we do don't get me wrong sometimes we struggle with you know hope that you know we have we, we struggle to recruit a kitchen assistant let's say for a few months but for me that for me a few months is an issue for some people i'm sure they've been trying to recruit people for yeah. a couple of years now with 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 issues um but for me i like that challenge because that means i've got to be even more innovative in finding a way to grab the attention of of these people don't have that problem now because I've I filled the vacancy yeah. and yeah I, no, I just I go sorry just, I was just gonna say we, we, I know you've spoken extensively about um your your cha- the changes you've made to your recruitment center and we, and we will link that you did a yeah. particular webinar a few months ago and we will link in the show notes to that but just going back to some of that sort of kind of research um, you know, listening to podcasts, reading mm. book, reading literature, book. Mm. has that made you a better leader? If we sort of put the recruitment and retention aside, has it made you a better leader, do you yes. think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the hardest part that people have is making, and, and the biggest excuse that people have for this is making the time. They don't have the time to do it. When do I have time to listen to an hour-long podcast? When do I have time in, while I'm busy firefighting to sit down and listen to a 40-minute webinar? When do I have time to sit and try and read a book? Well, you've got to make the time. Now, what I started doing well, um, during the pandemic was I started uh, listening to the podcast while I was going. I used to do like an hour walk every day, listen to a podcast. Great. Uh, it, it was, it, you know, it's great learning, great exercise. And it just got me away from everything that was going on yeah. as well. So that was, a, that was, that was a really good break. People say they don't have time. It's, it's a poor excuse. The resources that everyone needs in social care to improve any aspect of their of their their setting, whether that's culture, leadership, recruitment, marketing, anything, it's out there and it's either free of charge or the highest cost is the cost of a book. Whatever you need, it's in there. And if you go into it with an open mind and a, a learning mindset, some of the things that I've learned and used to develop my skills as a leader since I started doing all of this has been I'm a completely different person now than when I was back when I took over as a manager going up to, you know, when we had our recruitment crisis in 2018. I'm a completely different person, manager, leader, everything because because of that for the better. And yeah, I, I, it's it's one of those that it, it's, it's therapeutic listening to Dire of a CEO or um, the High Performance Podcast or, or Work Life or something like that. It, it makes me excited for work because I get to listen to all these amazing things that are going on in other great places or even people who are struggling and have managed to claw their way out of it. And I get to go into work and try and implement some of these things, these things that I've learned either into my own practice or help use it to help other people. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. And yeah, it's, I, I, you know, I said it, not having time to do it is a, is a really poor excuse. Yeah, it can even be a drive to work or something, can't it? You can listen to yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I've, I, I love hearing about that because I speak to lots of managers and I think there's often still this idea that the only way you learn is by attending a training course. Um, and I think, you know, what you're describing is there are so many different ways that you can get new ideas about how to improve your service, how to develop yourself as a leader that don't involve going and sitting on a on a training course in a room somewhere. Yeah, and that's absolutely. that's great to hear. Yeah. yeah. Everything's a learning opportunity. I mean it sounds really sad. My wife's my wife started watching Blue Bloods. So I don't know if you know the program with um Tom Selleck in. And even then I'll be sat there watching Frank Reagan being police uh, commissioner of uh, of the police department in New York City and I'd be there going what would I do in his shoes? And even then it's like, a, it's a learning opportunity, you know, mm, I wouldn't quite have said that I would have done that differently. Yeah. And even things, I'm a big sports fan, watching the last dance uh, by the, for the Chicago Bulls was fantastic. And yeah, there, there's so many things you can watch and that are enjoyable, but also are great for great for learning and, and development. And it's, it's, it's fantastic. And yeah, I, I encourage people to, to have these experiences don't need to listen to like you just said don't need to listen to music on the way into work put a put a podcast on or put something in, put something educational on yeah what are the other things you've learned um it, most of most of what i learned actually is about induction and um and cultures so our induction is very rigorous um there's a lot of supernumerary time involved but basically we look at people and we set very strict limits on things like sickness reliability uh, work standards, the questions they ask, and if they don't fit, if they don't fit a certain mould by the time they reach certain points in their induction, we get rid of them. Because which sounds really harsh, but at the end of the day, they're caring for the most vulnerable people in society, and I'm not prepared to take a risk on something going wrong, poor standards of care being provided, safeguardings, that sort of thing. Because oh, she's a really nice person, just because she's had just because she's had 10 days off in the first six weeks of induction doesn't mean to say that we should fail her induction. Well, actually it does because that proves that person's unreliable and it's only probably going to get worse once her induction's finished. So a lot of things that I learned was about building cultures and um, relying on teams and how you need to have that camaraderie, team spirits, and everyone needs to rely on each other. And yeah, there's, there's several podcasts and, and documentaries, The Last Dance, the High Performance Podcast that, I, that I've listened to that have really rammed that home for me. Yeah. And I thought particularly, I've listened to a few of them, particularly the football managers, mm. they, they, they have, a, have a lot of things to, that you can compare, um, compare to. It's interesting, you, it's interesting you say that, sorry, it's interesting because um, I've just, my son, my son started playing football and I've, I got roped into coaching his team. So I've had to do a, I've had to do a course a coaching course and the the transferable skills that you get from care home manager to football coach they're startlingly similar yeah. and yeah and I, I do often compare the way that I manage my my care home as almost like a football manager yeah. you know I'm 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 the manager of the team and you know the, the team if something goes wrong that's my responsibility if it goes right it's the team and yeah so it's interesting it's interesting you say that yeah, absolutely. I don't know much about football, but it's really <laughs> about about the football managers and the popular ones I've enjoyed the most have been the football managers yeah. um, uh, because I just, you know, you really can hear what they're saying about culture, <laughs> about, you know, you know, being respectful, about teamwork, about, you know, attention to details, making sure people <laughs> looking looking respectable, are respectful to each other and, and ev- everybody has an equal um 
an equal part in the team. And if, if one is a weak weak point, you straight away, you'll know that and you'll be treating everybody the, um, with respect. Yeah. I just want to move on. You, you've talked a lot about the changes you've made in your service. How do you how do you make sure that everybody's with you? Because you, you, we can hear you are somebody who, you know, coming up with lots of ideas, you know, even when you're not at work, you're like thinking, oh, I'm going to change this, I'm going to do this. How do you get everybody with you? So, uh, yeah, when I when I started as a manager, I would have these ideas and go out there and go, right, guys, we're going to do this. And 50%, maybe even higher than that, uh, it would fail. And a lot of that was because I'd have these ideas, I'd, I'd write up an action plan for them, I'd pass them on to everyone and go, right, this is what we're going to do. And then I'd expect everyone to do it, go but review, review it in a month and go, hmm, why isn't this working? And a lot of that was because, one, I didn't have follow through and two, the team didn't have buy-in. They were doing something because I told them to do it. A lot of people, if you ask them, don't like change, especially if it's forced upon them. So they would do it for a little bit and then they would just revert to type. They didn't have me kind of, I've got other things to do. I don't have time to stand over everyone making sure they do this thing. So they would revert to type. I'm now scratching my head going, "Hmm, why didn't that work? So what I do now is I I try, I I get people on board. So um, a lot of, uh, from me getting an idea to it being implemented is actually a, a much longer process because rather than me having an idea, writing an action plan out and going, right, guys, we're going to do this. Now I've got to identify people who I think would be on board with this or would be able to, able to take it even further and would be able to oversee it. And that might be a case of um, just talking to people. We did, we've done a force prevention project and... I had I had some ideas for it, but I I was never going to have to follow through because I wanted to create a, a team of people basically that were going to look at our falls in the home because during the lock during the, the lockdown and the pan the early part of the pandemic we had a lot of falls we had we had our falls quadrupled it was scary so I wanted to build like a task force almost to look into why this happened and what we can do about it and rather than just kind of go out there I actually I advertised it. I identified a couple of people and said, I think you'd be really good for this and got them to go out and pick people as well. And by the end of it now, I'm I'm not even a part of it anymore, really. They meet, they, they put plans in place, they police it, they oversee it. I get to sit in my office and meet the benefits because our falls have gone down by nearly 50%, a mm. bit, bit more. So... I don't have as much to do with that anymore. And that's because you've got a team of people and there's only five of them, I think, but they police themselves, they look after themselves, they hold min- they hold meetings. I sometimes minute them just to stay, just to stay involved. I do the falls audit just so that I, I'm aware of how many falls we have and things like that. But they, they're they the ones that come up with the ideas, the decluttering, the ch- chasing up people with accident forms and getting information and looking at why that person fell there, when, how, what can we do? Um, so it's, it's important to, to get, just to get as many people involved as possible. Sometimes change happens naturally. I'm, um, I'm really good in my opinion. If someone comes to me and goes, this is a problem, I'm good at sitting down with them and going, okay, so what, what do you think should, should happen with this? And I'll help them formulate a plan. They'll go away. And if they don't do anything about it, 
when they come in and moan about it next. I'll go, okay, well, you had a chance to do something and, and you didn't. But a lot of the time there, people will go out there and go, right, I'm not happy about this, so I'm going to change it. Yeah. And the, the change, the, the progression comes comes naturally. And we've had things that have, the people have come up with ideas and it's changed the home for the better. Um, you know, very, you know, bits of equipment, um, for example, slide sheets. Somebody wasn't happy that uh, the amount of times we had to roll people to put slide sheets on them. So I helped them. I, I, so I researched um, a built-in slide sheet system. We've got uh, there's two different types, and then I don't know if I'm allowed to, to name names, so I won't name what types they are and all of that. Um, and helped the the person now people identify who would benefit from these the most, which resident which residents would benefit from these um, when and encourage them to show others in the team how to use them. And now we've got a system whereby when they feel somebody else needs these, needs these, I buy them for them. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, so that, that's progressed naturally rather than having a team of people who are struggling moaning about slide sheets and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I helped them come up with the ideas themselves. If I'd have gone out there and gone, right, we're going to try, the, we're going to have these new slide sheets, let's say, um, nothing probably would have been done about it. So I'd have gone, right, find people who need slide sheets and I'll these slide sheets and I'll buy them. And people probably wouldn't have wouldn't have bothered because it would have been change and a and a hassle. So yeah, it's about for me, it's about getting people involved, getting people invested, and those people need to be able to police what's going on so that yeah. we can and, and support them as well. So if hypothetically someone wants to change something that I feel is for the better, they've action planned it, they've gone out, they've done something, and people aren't following that. So when they come back to me and go, it's not working because these people aren't doing it okay, I'm going to go out there and find out why and I'll support you and tell them this is actually what we're going to do to stop acting like this or else we're going to have a problem. Absolutely. Goodness me. Um, just move just quickly before before we sort of kind of rounding rounding up. So I just wanted to ask you about social media. Um, so you use social media a great deal. Uh what what are the things that you're seeing? What, how do you think other managers could use social media more effectively? You touched on it a little bit earlier on, but what are the things that people could do to use social media more effectively? That could be a whole new podcast in itself, so I'll try and be brief. I mean, basically, what what annoys me with people with social media or care settings, let's say, with social media, is they set up these posts or these pages and they do it half-heartedly without much thought, much care, much attention, um, putting up posts sporadically with poor photos, poor content, poor grammar and spelling, and then wonder why they get little to no engagement and wonder why they advertise jobs nobody applies for them. And what we have is a, what we should call herself a social media queen. So um, I identified somebody who was going to be great with social media. I gave her the job of overseeing our social media. So basically she's head of lifestyles. So she's obviously forerunner for taking photos and making sure that the event that they do events and trips and things like that. And she's normally there when these things are happening anyway. So it's natural. She's young. She was when, well, she won't appreciate me saying this. She was very young when, when, when we started doing this. So she was very um, <laughs> hip when, uh, when we started doing it. So she knew all the terminology all the way down as well to even like the best time to post to get the most engagement. You know, if you post at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning, you don't get as much engagement as when you post at five o'clock on a Monday afternoon for whatever, I don't know why, but that's the way it yeah. works apparently. Yeah. So 
having someone like that to manage the social media was was a big deal because she treats it like her own social media. You know, it's, it's a very personal thing to her. So I before before a post goes up, I veto all the posts. So I've got to I, I've got to check all the photos and make sure that they are all appropriate. I've got to spell and grammar check the post she's written before it goes on, and then she posts it at the time that she sees fit. And that, that, that improves our engagement absolutely significantly. Um, in terms of my own social media, um, if you've got my Facebook page, for example, a lot of it is just, it's just work. It's just sharing the Calcifid page or anything that I've done in relation to being a care home manager, plus the odd football banter, but that's about it. Uh, my LinkedIn, I try, I'm, I'm trying to use now to share good, share best practice and educate people. So a lot of my LinkedIn, if you do follow me on LinkedIn is, is, um, I said, when I remember to update it is hints and tips about things, normally topics that I feel that have come up recently in my professional life. Like I said, it was recruitment and retention. Yeah. Now it's social media at the moment, yeah. probably be something else, maybe cultural or something in a, in a few more weeks time, um, sprinkled in with a few of the amazing things that, that we do at, at Castleford house. But it's, it's uh, social media, in my opinion, is what could be the difference between um, a home that's struggling, using a lot of agency, empty beds, and a home that is outstanding, full, filling vacant, filling staff vacancies, has a waiting list. The amount of people who will come and look for a placement for their loved one and say, saw you on social media and what you do is amazing and that's why we're here is it's it, at least at least two inquiries a week. I get that. Yeah. And I no. saw some. Oh, sorry, when you, I say I saw some research of, and I can't remember the person who did the research, but he did done some research in staff that apply for jobs in social care, and the percentage of of staff applying to social care who either check the the service social media profile, either before or the interview, it was something like ninety percent or eighty mm. probably. It was it was it was surprisingly high and I suppose if you then do that as a member as a potential member of staff and you see a service that's you know and it could be a home care could be a, 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 mm-hmm. a care home doing loads of things lots of kind of yeah so and so has achieved a qualification you know well done mm-hmm. all those things you think oh that I quite fancy working there or if you just see somebody who's posted twice a year and it's you know it's been always snowing today you know you, you kind of need to have it on your list of things to do if not every day every other day so you are continually on there to say to say that that you're um and i think um if you're if you're listening to this and you haven't got a social media do have a look at um uh, uh, you know Ben's um, uh, Castle Four House and and Ben's uh, LinkedIn because you you do you are very generous with sharing lots of ideas. Uh, I particularly liked uh, you had a had a long long list of, of kind of how to take photos, how to how to select the right photos. But I don't not sure we've got time to go in today. But you know, fascinating just to think about how important what it is you're portraying and you're displaying to the world. Uh, how important that is. Anyway, Wendy, I, I interrupted you. I was just going to say, I was really interested to hear what you said about using one of your team um, to do some of the work around social media, because one of the things I hear a lot from managers is they say, well, I'd really like to do more on social media, but I'm not very confident. I don't, you know, I don't have my own social media, therefore I don't 
I don't know how to do it. Yeah. So I think that was a great example of, of using the expertise as part of the team, yeah. um, which is which is great. I, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't have time to do it. So, or if I if I did it, you get one post a week, something like that. And that's if I really tried to invest. I mean, I'm not social media is not really my thing. I've invested a lot of time in learning about how to market and advertise on social media. But in terms of you know, I'm not I'm not the one going out on trips. You know, if you go on our Facebook page, they went to Western Supermare uh, last week. I I was I wasn't there. I was well. I, I was I was I was in my office doing work. So. You know, I'm not in a prime position to take these amazing photos and write up what write up the post. And one thing, you know, we, we try and put quotes in from people so that we can evidence that they've had a great time. For example, I'm not there to hear those sorts of things. So yeah, you need to have people who are going to be out there and doing doing it, doing the care, uh, doing the trips, doing the activities, doing the amazing things. They're the ones that need to be managing this. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. And you're absolutely right. We could we could talk about this um, as a whole other podcast. Um, Maybe we come back. Yeah, but just, just moving on. One of the things we have, Ben, is we have our time for care slot in every episode um, where we ask our podcast guests about what are they, what is your most time saving tip that you could share? I thought long and hard about this because you've had some really good ones and I, I've, I've written down lists from prioritizing, delegating, stepping back from situations. Um, the one that I thought of just as we were about to, just as I was about to log in, which has been vital during the pandemic for us um, and has saved me an awful lot of time is get yourself and your team a good app to communicate with. We use Slack. Um, I'm sure you could use WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger or something like that. But having the ability to communicate to the majority, and by majority, I mean about 95% of my team from sending one message in Slack has been an absolute godsend. And I can't imagine if someone tests positive right now, I can send one message to notify the majority of the team that they have to COVID test for the next five days. For example, I don't have to go into work and phone around people. I don't have to stick unsightly signs on the door that show we've got people with COVID here. I can do it all quietly, calmly and subtly. And there's loads of other benefits to it. Covering shortfalls, um, notifying people when they've got, when there's training on. It's, it's changed a lot of the way that we work and it's saved on communication books and phoning people around. Yeah, it's, I, I, would, I would seriously recommend to people to get themselves a, a good communications app. So I don't know Slack, a lot about Slack, but you, you can do things in topics, can't you? Yes. Which is yeah, different yeah. between WhatsApp, because WhatsApp, you just have a staff group and everything yeah. will go on there. Where yeah. Slack, you can have a topic which is covering shifts or, yeah. you know, activity, things I'm proud of today, or, or you know, you can have yeah. different topics, can't you? Yeah, yeah. So we have, we've got a variety of channels. Every department's got its own channel. We've got an emotional support channel, a COVID channel, training, staff shortfalls. There's a variety of channels. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just been, it's just been a godsend, you know, because like I said, uh, during, I mean, the, the best thing was when uh, the government were announcing the lockdown, we were all on there just messaging and people were saying, oh my God, I'm, I'm crying because I'm not going to be able to work because the schools are going to be shut and people were just there. Like, oh no, it's fine we'll cover your shifts, we'll get through this. It was just, it, it was great. It was it was hard, but it was great to see as well. People weren't at home kind of suffering alone, worrying or not being able to reach me because they'd have had to phone me or something like that. Whereas now they can, and 
WhatsApp's great, but what I don't want to do is hypothetically go on holiday and have to have my family WhatsApp me and then check and see that I've got a load of messages from work on there. I could just mute Slack, turn it off, uninstall it or whatever, and not have it impinge on my personal life. So it's 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 fantastic. So it's changed um, it's, it's changed a lot for us the, of how we work. That's a really good idea. So our final question, um, this episode is going to be the last episode of 2022. Um, and if you were reflecting back on the year, what's the one thing you've learned that you'd want to pass on to other managers? Uh, for me, it would be well, two things. First of all, is that this is an absolutely incredible sector to work in. It's so rewarding. It's gratifying. If it's done right, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't change this for the world. Um, the, the second thing is it's, it's not about you. It's about your team. You, you can't do anything on your own. So don't make it about you. Um, they, whilst your job is hard, they do a lot of hard work as well. And they'll know if they'll know if you're, if you're, if you don't mean the gratitude, the appreciation they give you, if, if you're faking it, it needs to be all about them and if you support them you'll find they still support you as well so you don't it's, it's not about you don't have an ego great brilliant thank you brilliant so much to as you say we could almost do another episode because mm -hmm. uh, we have lots of things we want to i would have liked to ask you more about and, and maybe we'll come back and, and ask some more at another time but Love thanks to. so much for your time ben it's been insightful and i've learned a great deal so it's been really really good Thanks Excellent. for having me. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Wow, Wendy. That was such an interesting conversation with Ben. Goodness me, he had a lot to tell us, didn't he? He did indeed. It was fantastic. <laughs> it's so interesting to talk to somebody who is so passionate about what he does and and he's really just embraced his manager's role as you know his life work isn't he yeah he had so many great ideas i know so many you know i'm a bit of a researcher myself so i I completely get what he was saying about you know listening and, and looking outwards and just thinking about how how can i develop myself and it was almost like a you know he listened to that first podcast and it just opened his mind to the fact that there were so many things out there. You know, there were so many other leadership podcasts and so many other, you know, marketing, all the things that he'd learned and then taking the things he'd learned and then, you know, use that in his service to make improvements and sometimes trying things that didn't work and that was fine. But just, you know, you know, and I just love that. I absolutely love when finding that golden nugget of, bits of advice in a, in a podcast or in a book and just taking that and then thinking this is going to make a huge change in my in um in my service and that's why we started this podcast really was that we wanted people to 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 do that just that and I just thought god excellent that he's you know re and, and looking outside the sector I think is always good there's so much you can learn from other industries and you know I have to say uh, I, ha I hadn't uh, discovered high performing um podcast before uh but the as i said in the in our conversation the, the conversations they had with football managers 
just you know many of them just blew my mind I just thought god if I was managing a service now I'd be going oh that's great that's great I want to use that I want to use that I would I would have you know I would have, you know I still loved it but um, I would have loved it even more as a, as a manager in social care so definitely link we would link to that in the show notes as well as the um webinar that he's we spoke about that he's recorded in terms of developing yourself and i think that's really what he's done with all that research um we skills for care have have just quite recently uh, launched some leadership modules um they are in level uh, 11 in total um, we call them introductory modules for managers because they could be part of an, uh, a sort of mod, uh, an induction package for a new manager. But I think that you could use a lot of these. Uh, you know, so they're eleven covering eleven different topics, and you could take, you know, oh, I want to learn a bit more about effective communication, for instance, and just do module four, um, and then spending time well not just doing it i think that the important bit is afterwards thinking what are the things that i can change in my service as a result of what i've learned in that module um they are uh, you have to pay for them so um they are 15 pounds per module but if you if you're claiming workforce development fund you can actually claim 50 pounds per module and the reason why we say that that 35 pounds difference is is exactly for that for your time of embedding your learning and and using that so um you know always kind of look outwards and find finding ways to improve yourself and and therefore your service yeah, the thing that occurred to me as well was um, Ben talked an awful lot about the importance of evidencing for CQC yeah, and that made me think about the good and outstanding care section on our website because on that section we've got a number of resources including the striving for outstanding checklist and the yeah. striving for outstanding action plan and some of the things that that Ben was talking about about thinking about reflecting on what you need to do to achieve outstanding and how to evidence that I thought they could be really useful tools um for managers if they're yeah. thinking about how do we how do we develop and move our service towards outstanding Absolutely. but of course we've also got the um the new one hour virtual learning module yeah. that's available um and again that might be something that managers would want to think about um whether that might be something that would help them consider a little bit more about what they need to do if they're looking towards becoming outstanding because that talks through doesn't it about being yeah. prepared for inspection improving ratings but also about how to deliver outstanding outstanding care yeah i thought it was and, really interesting when he was talking about that how a lot of his work you know obviously he was doing evidencing but actually a lot of the work he was doing with that was about changing his team's mindset wasn't it yeah. yeah, that they they felt prepared, that he spent lots of time talking to his staff saying, this is what CQC is, this is what would be expected of you, just be really proud of what you're doing, you know, and I thought that, that's, that's really good advice. That's such a passionate message to give yeah. to staff, isn't it, yeah. about, you know, this is not just about CQC coming in, it's about having an opportunity to talk about the things that we do well yeah. in our service and that we're proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant.
yeah no um yeah and we could probably go on so many other little bits that we would want to to highlight i really hope you've enjoyed this episode um with ben um if possible do follow the care exchange therefore you get notifications whenever we have a new episode uh, launched um and and you'll then find out about the next episode thanks very much bye thank you bye